0: Hey, listeners, this is Richard Ceballos. I have an update that I want to share with all of you. I will not be moving forward as a co-host for the Go Entrepreneur Yourself podcast. The reason why is I did some reflecting at the end of 2021 into 2022. I realized that I want to spend my time and energy in other parts of my life. So because of that, I will be stepping away as a co-host. I will still be listening and tuning into the podcast I know we have some amazing entrepreneurs lined up for the rest of this season. I want to thank you all for listening. I hope I inspired you to ask thoughtful questions. If you ever meet up with an entrepreneur or connect with one. I do have some messages I want to share with you before I stop as a co-host. So my first one is to be intentional. It's really key that you're intentional with your work also remember to give yourself and others grace this is a challenging time and giving yourself grace is going to prevent you from being really hard on yourself and being extra critical it's not necessary right now and lastly remember to go entrepreneur yourself
1: Welcome listeners, this is Jonathan Yamasaki, founder and co-host of Go Entrepreneur Yourself. The name of this podcast speaks for itself. We empower you with digestible, inspiring, and valuable content on starting your own business. Our show stands for empowering future and current entrepreneurs to stop dreaming and start entrepreneuring, which means to take that leap, take that first step on your idea as opposed to sitting thinking about it. Not only are you gaining valuable advice on starting your business, but you have the opportunity to connect with some of our entrepreneurs. Now, let's hear from today's guests. Brian Clayton is the CEO and co-founder of GreenPal, an online marketplace that connects homeowners with local lawn care professionals. GreenPal has been called the the Uber for lawn care by Entrepreneur Magazine and has over two hundred thousand active users that uh, are completing thousands of transactions per day, getting somebody to cut their lawn, to pick up the trash. Now, before starting Pal, Brian Clayton founded Peachtree Inc., one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee, growing over ten million revenue in annual revenue and growing their employees from zero to hundred before it was acquired by Lusa Holdings in 2013. His interests are related to entrepreneurialism and his expertise. He loves talking about small business growth. He loves marketing and bootstrapping businesses from zero to revenue to profitability and exit. Also, I checked on uh, your Instagram, Brian. You're also an angel investor. <laughs> so thank you for coming on our show. Hey, Jonathan.
2: Thanks for having me on your show. It's great to be here, man.
1: Yeah. So Brian, before we dive a little bit in, we want our listeners to hear about the story of how GreenPow came to fruition, how you managed to convince on-the-go landscapers and contractors to utilize your app, when tech could be a barrier, and the future of tech in the landscaping business. More specifically, we want to reveal some of the raw truths and hardships of creating and maintaining a mobile app, an online freelancing platform. As always, in the end, We like to save a few leadership questions so our audience can expand their outlook on leading their business and apply any pieces of advice that resonate with them. So before we dive in, we're going to run a a new segment titled "Human Minutes. Yes, listeners, we combine the words human and minutes, and in this segment, we're looking for honest and human responses to a few rapid-fire questions. So what do you say? Are you ready for some human Minutes? Yeah, bring it on. Awesome. So first thing is... An opinion that almost nobody agrees with you on. (laughs) An opinion that almost nobody
2: agrees with me on. Um, hmm. I would say people in their 20s often disagree with me on this. Uh, A lot of people in their 20s these days feel like that their 20s are uh, a time of self-discovery, a time of uh, reflection, a time to figure out who you are. And I think that's bullshit. I think your 20s are spent... Hustling, grinding, getting on first base, building the foundation uh, underneath you. Every successful person I know has, has worked their butt off throughout their 20s. And so I think that's a bit of a bad advice that almost everybody in their 20s that I come across uh, disagrees with me on.
1: I can see that.
2: And working, <laughs>
1: working in your 20s and grinding is... And I mean really hard. Seven yeah. days
2: a week. I didn't have a vacation for, for nine years uh, wow. in my 20s. So yeah, that, that's my personal opinion on that. And almost nobody agrees with me on it. That's so that's, ins- that's, that's, that's the answer to your question.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. Now, that, that's why I see all your Instagram photos <laughs> traveling <laughs> everywhere. And that actually brings up a seg- great segue to our next question. So, like, What is the favorite country you have visited?
2: Ooh, so I've traveled, I think I've seen 50 or 60 countries. My favorite, my favorite, I mean, I I recently fell in love with Barcelona, Spain, but my favorite country in the world is Colombia. So that's where I spend most of my time. Uh, in fact, I wish I was there right now. I'm, in, I'm at home base right now in Nashville, Tennessee. But uh, usually I'm in Colombia, uh, somewhere in South America. Colombia is my favorite country
1: in the world. Beautiful. I have yet to go there. I was supposed to be in Spain uh, when the pandemic hits, I already had tickets for June of 2020, but I had to cancel obviously because of the restrictions when COVID happened. I'm it's sure better it's better just to
2: go when it opens back up. Yeah, traveling with restrictions sucks.
1: Yeah, and then so next question: What is one skill you've tried to learn, or you you've tried to like master, but you're not so good at?
2: A skill I've tried to learn, but I still suck at. Uh, salsa dancing. I <laughs> I I uh, I have taken. I have taken probably 20 classes on salsa dancing, and I'm still terrible. But I'm not going to give up. I haven't thrown in the towel yet.
1: That's good. You just got to keep on practicing. You got to keep going. People. Yeah, a <laughs> lot,
2: lot, lot, lot of parallels between salsa dancing and business.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Believe it or not, you just got to get out there and do it. That's true. It's it's like when you're you know when you're when you're leading people, you got to help guide them, and you got to help them lead the way. You know, being a yeah. great leader, just the same way you're dancing, right? Because you're leading the person, your partner that you're dancing with. You don't want to kind of be forceful in the dance. So I see those parallels.
2: <laughs> and the only way to learn is just to get out there and do it. Much like a business, the only way to learn is to get a, to get a product in the customer's hands.
1: Exactly. So then last question, what is your favorite thing to do in Tennessee, whether it's sightseeing, museum, any local bars? Uh, my favorite
2: thing to do in Tennessee uh, we have really good lakes here. And so you take that for granted when you travel around and there are no lakes, um, but we have really nice lakes here. So
1: I like to go out on those. Wonderful. Well, that was a few minutes with Brian. Thank you so much for, for running that segment with us. So now tell us, how did you get started? But tell us something that is usually not mentioned in your intro.
2: Yeah. So, uh, currently I'm CEO, co-founder of green GreenPal Green Pal is the Uber for lawn mowing. So if you're a homeowner need to get your grass cut rather than calling around, uh, on Craigslist or Facebook or whatever, you just download our app, pop your address in, somebody comes out and takes care of it for you. Been at this for, I guess you could say we're like a nine year overnight success, been at this for almost a decade, uh, now have around 300,000 people using the app and, uh, doing around $30 million a year in revenue. Started off really, really humbly, Uh, my two co-founders and I, you know, working on the app in in our city, Nashville, Tennessee, and just kept grinding on it little by little and and growing it year over year and haven't raised any outside capital, which is kind of rare for tech startups like this, but uh, we just stuck through it. And I I guess you could say uh, one of our competitive advantages is diligence and perseverance and and consistency and just sticking with it and focusing on a couple little small goals at a time and executing is, is how we've gotten to where we are. And now here we are, decade in, and profitable, and growing, and still feels like day one. Believe it or not, we we want to become a hundred million dollar company, and so we're mm-hmm. doing the
1: things to to get from now uh, thirty million to a hundred million. Yeah, and then what? What is uh, the choosing strategy of bootstrapping and self funding, as you mentioned earlier? So, like, what is how how exactly did you get that instead of getting like outside capital?
2: Yeah, it's uh it's kind of a choice you have to make early on when you're when you're founding a business, do you go out and build a business that investors love or do you try to build one that customers love? And a lot of times if you go down the path of raising capital just you know day one, you you optimize for what investors want to see in a pitch deck and you're not necessarily optimizing for what customers are telling you. And so a lot of times it's hard to do both of those at the same time. It's hard to be good at both. For me that was something I kind of identified early on was you know, these these investors are wanting to see user sign up growth and they're wanting to see revenue growth at all costs, but but that's really kind of not congruent with, with the things that we need to do, what our customers are telling us. And so mm-hmm. I, I made the choice early on that we were just going to fund the business off of its own revenues. That was a strategy we were going to take. And while it made it difficult in the early years, it made it harder to mm-hmm. kind of survive the early years. Looking back, it's it's been key to our success. There's like a graveyard of of Uber for X ideas, you know, Uber for home cleaning, yeah. Uber, Uber for laundry services, Uber for valet parking. You know, mm. hundreds of <laughs> hundreds of billions of dollars crashing to the ground chasing these ideas. Whereas for us, you know, we just focus on one thing: what were our customers telling us? You know, what uh, maybe we only had twelve customers in our, <laughs> our first year. We had twelve customers, and what were mm. they telling us? And I, and I knew we need to get that to a hundred. If we can get it to a hundred, get it to a thousand, get it to get it to ten thousand. And just, just rinse and repeating that same little process over and over again is, is how we've gotten to where we are today.
1: So then how did you get this uh, the background and the skills necessary to run this type of business? Did a lot of it come from working, uh, being successful in, and selling at Peachtree? Or was it mowing lawns during high school?
2: <laughs> yeah, so... I think when you're starting a new business, particularly a tech-driven business, you're, you're inventing a new product from scratch that does not exist. Mm. And I think one of your competitive advantages can be authenticity. Um, and for me, that certainly has been the case. I spent my first 15 years uh, in business in the landscaping business. I started mowing yards in high school and kept mowing grass through college and ultimately ended up building one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee where I live. And getting that company over like 150 employees, eventually getting it over 10 million a year in revenue, it was acquired uh, by one of the larger landscaping uh, conglomerates in the United States. And so, growing that business is for me and a push mower to me and like a 100 trucks going out every day. I learned a lot about how the business works from the inside out. And, and so, when I sold that business, I retired. I didn't have to work anymore, which was nice, but I got bored and I <laughs> thought, well, what am I going to do now? Uh, and I thought, well, I'm gonna, I don't want to do that kind of business again because that was really hard. I want to do a software business because maybe that will be easier. And, boy, <laughs> I, boy, I didn't know what I didn't know. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was naivete as an asset. <laughs> and, uh, and got in there and, and recruited two co-founders. We started working on the idea and never looked back. And the, one of the, the competitive advantages we had then and still now is Kind of have been solving my own problems in a way, you know. I really, really kind of saw the things that needed to be dealt with, with with from a technology standpoint, in in this industry, and and that's what we've that's what we kind of optimized around, and that's that's how we that's, that's been key to our success because we kind of solve for the the vendor side of the equation. We know if we can solve their problems, improve their livelihood, make them more money, that the rest of the success will follow, and that's how we that's how we attack it.
1: Yeah, and then. Talk about, I guess, the human science behind making them more money. Because I remember hearing in an interview, um, you were talking about how if we we're able to like really make this place look as amazing, be amazing, be presentable, we can help you get like a higher percentage and more sales, more growth. And I like that. You like did more than just just cut grass and make things look nice. Like you actually made a really good value proposition. If you want to tell our audience members about the, the, the value of that, the value of really caring about those customers and, and filling the needs that they're looking for.
2: Yeah, I think in any sales process, whether it's, you know, a self-serve digital one like we have now, or if you're literally dialing for dollars all day, you really have to put yourself in your customer's shoes. You really have to figure out what they want, what they need, where they're trying to get, and you have to solve for those problems. You know, so, so often we look at the, that equation from like founder logic, and it really needs to be, you need to look at it from customer logic and and there's a gap between those two and so really you have to look at it first from okay what what are they trying to do where are they trying to get to and and that goes all the way back like in my first company my landscaping company when we were selling a a six-figure contract to an apartment building we weren't selling them grass cutting we were actually selling them increased occupancy and we we realized that the problem that 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 apartment manager was dealing with on a daily basis was not tall grass it was their occupancy was 78% and they needed to get it to 93%. So we would start the conversation from, from that standpoint and say, okay, well, listen, we believe, and here's some case studies where, where we come in and and we, we take care of your outdoor maintenance. We can install these types of, uh, floral displays. We can enhance the landscaping here, maybe around the model unit or whatever. And we believe over time we can get to increase your occupancy, you know, four or 5%. And what would that be worth? You know, we, yeah, we're not going to be the cheapest option, for your your contract, but we can help you you know get where you're trying to go. And so, really reframing the equation and looking at it from where is your customer trying to get to, and helping help them get there is is how we you know how I approach building that first business, and it's how we approach you know building GreenPal, you know where we really try to put ourselves in the shoes of the people using our product and help help them get where they're trying to go. And you know to this day, landscape contractors that use my platform, you know, there's thirty two thousand of them we really help them double and triple their business over a year's period of time. And, and all of the things that go into get, helping them get there that they're not doing, you know, Mm -hmm. all of the things that they don't know to do. Nobody taught, nobody teaches us how to market a small business in, 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 in in high school or college. And so it's our platform's job to help them get there, you know, help them get to the next level.
1: I like that a lot because I, I grew up, (laughs) I grew up in a family of like landscapers and every summer having to go I'd have my uncle go up, climbing up a tree, cutting the palm tree, picking up all the all the dirt or all the like things that they want to like remove. <clears throat> Seeing innovation happen at that level, I'm very curious to see like what what sort of pushback you may have gotten with like working with some of those contractors first in the beginning stages of, of letting people know, hey, this is an app where you can actually get money from, and and people can find you a lot more easier because I can see their or were there any like hesitation from people when you first started?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, you know, landscaping contractors are not necessarily known for the, as being early adopters of technology. And then the other problem is, is their phone has just been ringing off the hook for a decade with scams. People that are trying to sell them technical digital products that aren't necessarily a good fit, whether it be. And not not to call these people scams, but the the sales force at Yelp is is wearing them out. The sales force at Google AdWords is wearing them out. Home Advisor, Angie's List, you name it. And so when we're approaching them, uh, particularly in the early days, with a solution to their problems, it's hard to how do you se- separate yourself from from all those other things that have kind of screwed them over. And it, the way we got through it was just through sheer authenticity. So like in the early days, um, you know, I knew what we needed a hundred contractors in Nashville to use the app and what i would do is say i would say listen you know you may have heard of me i built this business and sold it not a lot of times they had because i was kind of a known commodity in my hometown in that industry and i would say i will give you free coaching on how to grow your business to six and seven figures if you use my product and that was a no-brainer and so that's yeah. how i got the first hundred really 500 500 contractors onto the platform and i would literally hold weekly and monthly calls with these with these guys helping them grow their their landscaping business. And so that was a way we were able to kind of get over that cold start. And then after that, we were able to realize, okay, well, This is really kind of what what the uh, sweet spot is for the type of contractor that is using our platform getting value from it. That's who we should attack. And we realized that we really needed the early entrance into the marketplace. You know, the the guys that were maybe doing five properties a week and they wanted to do 100, those were the ones we needed to go after. Not Mm -hmm. the established ones because they kind of already had their little routines and processes. (laughs) So we were able to identify that just through hand cranking it, you know. And, and we still, you know, do that to this day. We hand crank things and then we scale them.
1: That's awesome. I, so I guess what I'm noticing, listeners, is like having the credibility, the experience. It really does help when trying to get get that buy-in from other people so that they know like, oh, he's he understands the business. It's not just someone here coming to try to just sell the product. No, they're trying to actually help me grow my business. And even that proposition of it's going to obviously convince people if they want to grow their business from six to nine figures, like they're going to want to join in. So then for those who maybe don't have that experience, sometimes like people that are starting an app for specific, you know, like the Uber of things, what, what sort of advice do you have for them if they maybe have more of the skill, right? The skill, because sometimes you get people that have skill sets and they, they know how to create an app. They know how to do these things. Maybe they're passionate about it. Like what sort of advice would you have for them if maybe they're not known in the community?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of times you got to manufacture that momentum and you, you really kind of have to do whatever is going to be required to, to get that kind of uh, domain expertise. And so, for example, um, I listened to a podcast interview with this guy who uh, founded a company called Slice, which is like a marketplace that connects consumers with local pizzerias, nice. like your small, not Domino's, and not Papa John's, but like your smaller pizzerias. And this dude spent like three years working in small pizzerias. Like he understood that business from the inside out. He understood like every business has a million problems. They're just all different. And, and so he understood that business from the inside out. If I tried to create a platform for pizzerias, I wouldn't have know the first damn thing to go about <laughs> it. And so I think it can really, really, really behoove you to really get in the trenches of whatever the, mm-hmm. the industry it is you're trying to solve. And I got another buddy who I coach um, – you know, in, on his business. And he's, he is starting a, uh, a marketplace that connects consumers um, with industrial supply houses and selling their excess inventory. And he was working on the interfaces, working on the app, working on the website. And I'm like, okay, have you sold any product? He goes, no, not yet. I don't have the platform ready yet. I'm like, well, how about this? How about we just like go to one of these supply yards and try to sell of their stuff on Facebook, on OfferUp, on Craigslist, just to see what that looks like before we go write the interfaces, before we go write the first line of code. He's like, you know, that's a really good idea. I never thought about that. And so he did that. And he's like, bro, there's no business here. Like, I can't, like, I I can't, I can't, I can't move this stuff. I can't, like, there's a reason why this this app doesn't exist. It's like, this is impossible. I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to tackle this problem. Like, well, it's a good thing. We, we tried to like do it manually before we spent, you know, a year building the platform. And so, uh, and so as silly as it sounds, take it down to, to the smallest possible thing, hand crank that. And then you'll learn like what the technology needs to look like.
1: Yeah. That's, that's great advice there. Try it out before you actually put it out to market. <laughs> Just like the, the- have a the experiment. reality is,
2: is that is that everybody wants to just get behind a laptop and start banging away on the on the keys, when you really just need to get out of the building and and go figure out what the real world problem is you're solving, and then and then build out from there.
1: Yes, that's that is great. Go out there to just really see what is going on in that market and with that potential need that people are looking for, because there's there could be a reason why it hasn't been built, or maybe it hasn't right. been built yet. If there's someone right. that's like really courageous and and strong enough to like build something out like that. So then yep. we're talking about technology now due to the rise of technology and how our society is getting a little more comfortable finding workers online versus like, oh, I know a person that can cut grass or I know someone that could do this like construction pickup. Uh, what do you plan on doing to compete in the global marketplace? Because we have right TaskRabbit, like it's a national well-known uh, app where you can get people to do similar jobs, right? Craigslist has been out there and as you answer as you think about the answer for that question, is there room for a multi-million dollar company like yours? Cause this sounds like it. Cause I would assume like when people are looking at their business and see, oh, there's another Uber already, or there's another this already, like, is there room for me? Like how did you how did you figure that out, knowing that, okay, my business was gonna or did you even know that your business was gonna scale to thirty million?
2: Yeah. You know, the question is, is like when you're picking out strategic options in the early days, do you go wide or do you go deep? And so do you go like wide? Do you try to offer a little bit, you know, for all things like a Angie's List or a Home Advisor or even an Amazon or something like that? Or do you go deep in terms of like this is the end to end, most like predictable, reliable, cheapest, seamless experience for this one thing? and. Either strategy is fine, but you need to go all in on on one or the other, I think. And for us, you know, we we decided to go deep on one thing, and that's just making this one chore as simple as pushing a button. And as crazy as that is, like a decade ago, we're still solving the same problems, you know, still solving the same problem a decade later, making it more reliable, more predictable, more seamless, more convenient, more cost effective. Separating the delta between the, the real world, like, okay, I'm just... Calling down Craigslist versus using GreenPal, making that better and better and better, and I think if you just focus on one problem and just don't worry about anything else, you can be the best in the world at something. And to date, as it stands right now, GreenPal is the largest nationwide network of landscapers. It is the biggest platform for ordering a lawn mowing service, and it's because we have focused on just this one thing. Had we had like tried to do home cleaning or pressure washing or roof service or or all these other things, these Mm. other verticals, we wouldn't be good at any of them. And so, Mm. and going back to like, the lawn care service operator has a million problems and they're all different than what the plumber has and what the house painter has, than what the uh, the remodeler has. Like everybody has different problems and we have yeah. focused on just this one kind of vertical, this one niche. And that's been key to our success because nobody else has taken a decade to, to work on this one one problem. The other thing is it's not a particularly sexy industry. You know, it's not, <laughs> it's not it's not, gla- it's not glamorous. <laughs> and uh, I know, I know firsthand. And I think like there's correlation between, the least sexy your idea and the, the better your chances of success because while we've had some competition trying to do what we do, not a lot. And so we've kind of been able to spend a decade quietly working on this thing and, and making it into something that matters, something that people get value from.
1: Yeah. I like that, that you're just honing in on one sub industry. I don't even know what to call it, but like within people that are doing landscaping or people that are doing all sorts of like a uh, contracting work. So that's, that's right. incredible to kind of consider when uh, when you're sometimes people are trying to solve everything, but just focusing on one thing to begin with, I think is good. And and you guys mastered that. You guys really have mastered that. Would you take that same advice? Is that advice similar to when people say, what's that one advice is like where you're great at all things, but you're not a master at one. Would you say <laughs> it's like similar to that and to a capacity or what do you think? Well, it like all
2: things, you know, it, it depends because at a point in time, you know, Angie's List was a great idea, uh, mm-hmm. Thumbtack was a great idea. There was no repository of this information, and and so they built that, and so that was the being the best repository of home service providers and surfacing reviews about them was the problem they were solving. Nowadays, twenty years later, it's not that great of an idea. There is no shortage of places you can go to get static information, names and phone numbers of contractors. You still have to call them. You still have to poll them and figure out their availability, figure out their pricing, figure out, are they going to, are they any good or not? And then, and then hire them manually. Whereas we took that one step further in one industry and made it to where you push a button, they quote, they show up, you build, you pay right through the app and just push a button and it just happens for this, the season. Uh, we wouldn't have been able to do that in, in all of these different things. So I think it's like, where, what problem are you solving? Where are you adding value? And the other question I get is like, well, will there be an Uber for everything? You know, will there be an Uber for home painters? Maybe, <laughs> probably not. Because like, where is the value? Okay, well, uh, you're making the introduction and you're making the appointment, but there's not a whole lot of pain around paying your home painter. So you don't really have to capture that on, on that kind of platform. And there's no rescheduling thing after the fact. so So you really kind of have to look at like, where's the pain? And how are you solving that pain with technology? And does it make sense, you know, all the way through to, to be the Uber for X? And it took a decade for people to figure this out. But I think we're starting to figure it out now. There's not going to be an Uber for
1: wedding photographers. <laughs> yeah, you know? That's true. That's very true. So th- there was this quote, and I'm going to try to rephrase it the best I can. It was like, or something along the lines where like some people don't work on their business, they work in their business. And it was an interview you had. Uh, can you kind of elaborate a little bit more on what you mean by that?
2: Yeah. So, you know, when you're founding a company, you're founding a business, particularly from zero, you're doing three things at once. You're working in the business. So, you're, you're, you know, if you have a pie shop, you're making pies, you're baking pies, you're selling pies and then you're working on the business and so you're trying to develop your recipes you're trying to negotiate you know maybe negotiate better terms with vendors you're developing your marketing strategy you're developing your strategy around customer satisfaction you're doing like research in the marketplace who what are the bakeries are there are they are they better than me Uh, and then you're also working on yourself so you're working on like your management style your leadership style Uh, maybe you're Going down the rabbit hole on creating like a perfect proprietary uh, recipe for your pies that nobody else has. And maybe there's some like alchemy in that. I don't know. And so you're doing three things at once. You're working in the business, on the business, and then on yourself. And you need to dedicate time throughout the week to, to do all three. And so in the early days, you know, it may be five, six days a week, you're working in the pie shop but then maybe saturday and sunday you know you you set aside time to work on your marketing strategy you set aside time to work on your employee, employee training uh, system you you set aside time to work on the system that makes your customers are happy and, and get you get feedback from them and then maybe maybe 4 or 5 hours a week you're working on yourself you know you're you're reading books you're watching stuff like this on on youtube you're listening to podcasts you're you're working on yourself Going to a conference, and in some businesses you can do two at one time. I coach a guy who has a uh, a car mobile detail service; like he cleans cars, and he's wanting to hire like four or five employees, and he's still cleaning cars. I'm like, well, here's the good news: <laughs> you can work on yourself while you're cleaning cars. You can you can listen, you know, in, in, with your AirPods, you know, you can listen to podcasts, you can listen to audiobooks and stuff like that. So, so the reality is, as a founder. It's a, it's a seven day a week contact sport. You're going to be doing a lot of these things all at once, and your car is going to need to become a classroom. Your living room is going to have to become a classroom because there's not enough there's not enough hours in a week to learn this stuff and, and apply it. So just be ready for that. That's how it's unfolded
1: for me. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think that's incredible advice there. Definitely heed his uh, his tips there on working on yourself, the business, and in the business. Uh, because that's what's going to help you really separate yourself from other people. Because there are some times where people are just comfortable and they're okay with what they've established. But if you're really looking to compete or if you, you don't want to be stagnant, then that's a great way to really get off of that. And something just came up, Brian, as you were talking about that. You strike me as somebody that doesn't like staying in the same place all the time. Like you don't like <laughs> staying comfortable. So that sort of relates to you wanting to take this so this is a goal right a hundred million dollar business right now you're at 30 yeah. million revenue so then what what do you think it's going to take for you like ask like i guess self-reflect what is it going to take for you to get to that point point? and is it any different on, on the way you're operating and how you're doing things yeah
2: it's uh you know every company every every business goes through three phases there's the startup which is like just getting an idea out there, getting some kind of product, getting a dozen customers, whatever. Then there's the grow up, which might be your first hundred K in revenue, million in revenue, 5 million in revenue. And then there's the scale up, which is multiple eight figures, nine figures executives, you know, building out a team, 30, 40, 50, hundred people. We're somewhere between the grow up and the scale up right now. and, and i have done the grow up twice i have never done the scale up and so what what i might come to find is that i just don't have that the skill sets to to pilot the company through that and if i find that out i will either sell the business or i will hire a professional ceo to come in but that's what it looks like and and i think every business reaches like the personal limitations of its founder and so we may find that out about GreenPal. i don't know <laughs> we may we may find out that i'm just not not the guy to take it to to 100 million And if we do, I'll put
1: somebody in that could. Wow. That's so humble. That's like that you're very humble about that because that is something that's hard to do, like letting go of a baby and still and letting somebody else come in to take its place to help you build it to where you want it to be as you're pushing through it and and you see things aren't getting done, recognizing that maybe I am not the one to push that or maybe I'm not the, the same CEO or the founder that's going to be here or be the one to like really launch this thing to 100 million. Yeah.
2: There's very few people that go from what they call 0 to 1, which is like we have nothing, now we have a, a something that's working and then can scale it all the way through. So you're your Mark Zuckerberg, your Jeff Bezos, your Elon Musk's of the world that that found a business and take it all the way through. That doesn't happen very often. Usually a professional CEO is brought in at some point. And so you kind of have to realize that you know, am I the person that can can take this to 100 million or not? And you have to you have to be honest with yourself and and one of the most humbling things you can do with your life is is start a company because it'll tell you really quickly where you suck and where <laughs> you need to, where, where you need to work on I, like I the, love the that. market I love that <laughs> the marketplace
1: is a purveyor of unvarnished feedback yeah dang start a business they'll tell you where you really need to work on things that's yeah. a, that's that's incredible <laughs> so then now we're gonna move on to leadership questions and I'm really curious and I'm sure our listeners are also curious. So do you have any mentors or coaches that helped you get through or helped you get to where you are today? And would you say having a mentor is helpful?
2: Yeah, the mentor thing is is a little tricky because a lot of people think that mentorship is just like jumping on LinkedIn and emailing people like, I want to pick your brain. And like that's not how to approach mentorship. I think I think mentorship needs to happen organically. Through people you're you're working with in your circles, and and I think it's better to find it that way. And then also, I think mentorship doesn't necessarily have to be grabbing coffee with somebody and or grabbing dinner with somebody and then mentoring you. I think mentorship can be asynchronous. I think it can be like you literally are following somebody's body of work on YouTube, uh, and you literally are, mm-hmm. are listening to their podcasts. Uh, you're literally reading every blog post that they put out, and Me personally, that's been some of the strongest mentors I've ever had is people who have never met me. I've never met them, (laughs) but I have learned so much from them over the last 10 years in terms of of the knowledge that they're sharing out there in terms of blog posts, YouTube, podcast interviews, Mm -hmm. conferences, fireside chats, things like that. I've gained more from those types of asynchronous relationships than I have trying to like, you know, hassle somebody. Hey, I want to pick your brain at Starbucks. (laughs) Like- like the reality is 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 that you really need to be mentored by somebody who has already done what it is you're trying to do or is doing what it is you're trying to do and a lot of times that pool can be very 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 small mm. and so for me if you know I'm here living in Nashville Tennessee we are we are not known for pumping out successful consumer digital products and so for me I've had to go outside of that kind of like that ecosystem and and, and go to YouTube university and like follow five or six or 10 people
1: and like everything they've put out. And that's how I've kind of have, have gotten mentorship over the years. I think that's wonderful advice for especially our young audiences. People are still in college because uh, so I work in a space where I mentor college students and I help them get through college and with the career that they love. And a lot of times they ask me, like, how do I talk to a mentor? How do I how do I find somebody? And sometimes it's like like you said, it's it's reading those blog posts, an asynchronous relationship going to that like fireside chat or that conference.
2: Start there. Yeah. Start, start there. And then maybe a real mentorship can, can develop from there. Maybe you, maybe you, you digest everything that person has put out and you, and then you send them an authentic message. Yeah. Like, Hey, (laughs) I watched, I watched XYZ thing and I learned this. I did this, my business, I really value. I'm working on this part of my business and I'm struggling with this. What are your thoughts? Would you mind, you know, helping me think through it? You know, that's a much better way to approach a mentor mentee relationship, then LinkedIn, uh, I am message. I want to pick your brain. I, I get like a hundred of those a day. And, and I know like they come from a good place and I, and it, but it's just kind of like that doesn't work. And so that, so that's why I share, that's why I share that.
1: So think about, listen to that you, listeners. You can't, it's not like a Tinder. You swipe right, you know, and then you just say, Hey, what's up? Like that's the same way yeah. that angel investors or people look at that. Is like, Oh, they're just, they're, there's nothing great about that. <laughs> like it just yeah. seems pretty, pretty common. Um, so then find something genuine, like an article or a video or an interview, something that really resonated with you because they can see through the between the lines. Like they could yeah. see that, that this doesn't seem li- uh, genuine. So then uh, next question is, you are a successful entrepreneur and leader. What are two character traits that you have that were instrumental to your success? Can you please share a story or example?
2: uh for me it's it's a couple things you know i'm not particularly like talented i'm not particularly bright you know i graduated college with like a 2.8 gpa and (laughs) and uh one thing i hope people get from listening to to interviews with me is like if that guy can do it i can do it and so for me it's just consistency it's it's literally showing that's a superpower like consistency as a superpower just showing Mm -hmm. up day in day out and then and then also like just really focusing on a couple things at a time is how is how I've gotten to where I am. You know, I really, in the early days of GreenPow, when it was really really hard. You know, we were making like hundreds of dollars and not able to pay ourselves anything. And, and really just focusing on one or two things and trying to drive the ball forward on those is is how we got through those hard hard points. And then also celebrating the small the small wins. That's you know when we hit a hundred transactions in a week. I mean, we went out and partied and uh, I mean, literally like we, we kicked it and it was just, it was like, you know, my last business, my, my landscaping company was doing that every hour. And, and so, but we did a hundred transactions in a a week and and I knew if we could do a hundred, we could scale it from there. So I celebrated that like it was a million dollars in a day or something. And, and so celebrating the small wins, doing the small things. And then the other thing that's kind of made sense uh, looking backwards is like you've got your output... You know metrics, like maybe we want to do like a million dollars in sales and that's great but you really need to look at the input metrics which is like what are the little things we need to be doing today and it could be maybe we need some more PR and so who's emailing 100 PR uh, who's emailing 100 journalists maybe we need some more landing pages, who's writing the content for those landing pages uh, maybe we need these features in the product and who who's working on that, like what are the input metrics today and like we're doing that over and over again
1: is, is what's made sense to me 20 years, you know, going from zero twice. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about the, the input metrics and all those things that you did to help really set you up and scale, do you have practical advice that you're, you're comfortable sharing with us for any young entrepreneurs that they can actually take home with them and, and practice that when developing their business or scaling their business?
2: Yeah, practically one thing that in in the early days just always worked out for me is like I would make every day about one little thing. So like Monday was content writing day. Tuesday was PR day. Wednesday was dev day. Thursday was was design day. Friday was reactivation of dead customers day. And so I would just (laughs) make one day around one thing and then just focus on that one thing and, and then everything else, not even worry about it. Otherwise you get dominated by the things that are urgent but not important. Mm. And so it's like every every day is just like you're just bombarded with all this BS and a lot of it is urgent but it's not important. And where you really need to be spending your time is on the things that are important but aren't urgent. And so like, for instance, Friday, which is reactivating cold customer day, you know that's an important thing but it's not urgent in terms of like keeping the lights on today. But you need to spend time there. And so yeah. – Really, really this kind of being disciplined about about compartmentalizing these things and, and, and focusing on them one at a time is one thing that helped me kind of get over the, the cold
1: start and get through the first few years. Mm-hmm. The first thing I think about when you say that is like project management, <laughs> like self-project management because you're really kind of like finding the scope of the work you have to do for the day and then yeah. just kind of what are the deliverables, what are my uh, – my things that could hinder me from getting to work from point A to Z. Um, so would you say like taking up on a course real quick, an online course, a YouTube video about like self project management, would you say that'd be helpful?
2: Yeah, it really would because managing yourself is, is one of the hardest parts of being a founder. It's, it's like holding yourself accountable and doing the things you're supposed to be doing. is one of the most challenging pieces of it, it really is. And um, one of my favorite books is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People mm. uh, by Dr. Stephen Covey, and and there's a chapter in that book about managing yourself and and, and once you realize that like self management is one of the hardest things, and it's okay to to understand that and feel that way, but like getting over the hump of that and this mm. and is doing the small things day in day out and, and holding yourself accountable, and then you know not losing faith. You know you, you're gonna. You're gonna be working on this stuff for a year, two, three years with very little external validation. And uh and it's continuing to grind through that and celebrating the small wins along
1: the way is is how it how it worked for me. Yeah, you need to celebrate those small wins because those external validations may take a long time <laughs> to go. <good> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then now onto our final segment, mind your business, where we take pre-selected questions from our listeners and ask them to our entrepreneur. As a listener, We take the burden of asking a set of questions that you may be shy to ask about, um, afraid how might they respond, or they won't get back to you because you just said, hey, what's up? Can I pick your brain? (laughs) So this is where I, the host, will do it for you. So for those tuning in, you can ask any questions. All questions are appropriate. However, nothing is left behind and off limits when it's about the business. Um, And then you, our guest, have the option to answer on the spot or tell me, mind your business, okay? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I'm an open book, so this this should be fun. <laughs> so starting with the first question, and this one comes from uh, Anonymous. What would make your business obsolete?
2: Uh, so we are in the business of introducing people to lawn mowing services. What would make our business obsolete if there, if there was some magical chemical you could spray over your yard and everything would grow three inches tall uh, <laughs> and stay that way? And I've oftentimes thought about that, like, what if they come out with that? But a lot of people say, "Well, no, robots, robots is going to make you guys obsolete." Eh, I don't know. I, I, I mean, there's a lot of other things that these guys do than just cut grass. Like they, they pull the weeds <laughs> out of the they pull the weeds out of the landscaping beds. They blow it, it all the driveway off. They clean up the leaves, trash, things like that. So I don't think robots are a threat. But some sort of chemical to to make the grass only go two inches tall that would put us out of business.
1: Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for answering that. Uh, so this one comes from uh, at Y-I-N-G 24. So what, so this is Instagram. So what sale did you walk away from and why?
2: What sale did I walk away from and why? Um, somebody offered to buy our company two years ago and uh, they wanted me to stay on as, as an executive with the new company. And I walked away from it because I I just didn't believe in the product of the company that was buying my business. And I, and I, Mm. and I also, I've never had a job. I've never, literally never worked for anybody. So (laughs) I walked away from that deal because, and it would have been a very lucrative deal for, for my team and I, but I walked Mm. away because I didn't believe, I didn't believe in their product. And I also didn't like the idea of working for somebody else. I knew that wouldn't work out.
1: Yeah, was that was that like a merger, an acquisition, or was yeah, this? It, it was
2: an it would, it would have been a, a, an acquisition, and then they I would have had what's called a an earnout. And mm-hmm. if I had believed in their product a little bit better, um, I probably would have done it, but I did not, and I just didn't believe in where they were
1: going. And looking back, you know, two years later, that was the right call. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. And then final question. This one, this one comes from me. If you're okay being vulnerable, what is a weakness, or what is something that You're constantly working on that, you know, you need to like improve on as far as like leadership or running the business.
2: Yeah. You know, one thing I've learned about myself is uh, I'm like the hardest working, laziest person you'll ever meet. So (laughs) it's a weird thing, man. It really is. And so I, you know, on the one hand, you know, I, I'm perfectly fine with, with just not doing anything for a period of time. And, and uh, then that bothers me, and that's what causes me to, to, to get back into action mode. So what I do to combat that is I, I create what I call tripwires. And so, for instance, um, I just hired somebody on our team that makes $350 an hour. And uh, they are in charge of data analytics. And me personally, I hate staring at data. I hate staring at spreadsheets. I hate running uh, like uh, pivot tables and and uh, I hate hate doing that. And so I know if I pay this person, you know, for ten hours a week of work, that when I meet with them on Monday, I better have my shit together. And so and so that little tripwire causes me to study the data, causes me to study the analytics, causes me to really mm. get into the trenches of what the data's saying. And it's because I know I have a meeting with them every Monday. And so that's a little tripwire that holds me accountable to do the things I should be doing. Uh, you know, I like doing stuff like hiking and stuff, but it's hard to get me to do it. So, (laughs) so like I bought a pair, I bought a pair of $800 hiking boots and I know, Uh, and I know, I gotta go, gotta, gotta, go, gotta (laughs) go. So it's like, gotta go. And so, so that's another tripwire. Um, salsa dancing. I'm not, I don't particularly enjoy salsa dancing, but I want to learn how to do it because I spent a lot of time in South America. And so I, I hired a private coach. Uh, that makes 120 dollars an hour, uh, and I have a, I have like weekly classes and uh, with her, and so uh, so these are things that I do, you know, that cause me to like stay in line and do stuff that I that I know I should be doing. Whereas if I didn't have those, I probably would just you know sit at the house. So mm-hmm. that's something that I know I have to work on, and that's how I how I help improve it.
1: That's awesome. So find your trip wires people find your your, yeah implement the tripwires yes implement the (laughs) tripwires yeah well brian thank you for being on our show tell our listeners how they can reach out to you if they're looking for advice on starting their own company and then maybe feel free to throw in any plugs where people can reach you if they're looking to work with you
2: yeah, so uh, anybody listening to this doesn't want to mow your own grass, just jump on GreenPal, go to greenpal.com or download GreenPal in the App Store or Play Store. Anybody wants to hit me up, I spend most of my time socially on Instagram, so you can hit me up at Brian M. Clayton.
1: Drop me a DM and a follow there, I'll hit you back. Awesome. And for those tuning in, make sure to follow and subscribe to us on all streaming platforms, including our socials at Go Entrepreneur Yourself, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and now Spotify. Spotify has reviews and if you leave us a review, that's gonna allow us to be able to continue to reach to more people, more underserved communities that are looking to get out of the rut, maybe change that cycle of poverty, maybe come from like a background like Brian where they're working in, in the slums, working in you know, in the trenches and trying to make something out of their business and scale it. So come here for these incredible stories and digestible advice to you future entrepreneurs and current entrepreneurs. Thank you, Brian, for coming on to the show. Thanks,
2: Jonathan.